Welcome to the next episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast. This is episode 18. Um, who are you? I'm Brian. I'm Ethan. I'm Kent. I, I think I'm still Michael. And with us today we have special guest bassoonist, Cowdy. Yay. Yay is right. We are continuing our uh, origin stories series. Last episode we heard all about Ethan and his very musical background and family. And uh, today we're gonna dive into the depth that is Kent. Oh, oh. oh man. <laughs> <sighs> so Kent's one excited. snowy day that my mother likes to remind me of, back in 75, 75. after 20, what did she say, 20 hours of labor, it was snowing in Phoenix in 1975. Oh, but that is the next interesting part of the story. This would be in Joplin, Missouri. Missouri. Snowing in Missouri? Yes. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't know anything about Missouri. Yes. Out came <laughs> a bundle of joy that turned into just another bassoon player. Sticks. That's right. Oh. oh. Martin Bonk has to say about that. So, um, were you born with a beard? No, no, not quite. Are you sure? I mean, how do you remember? <laughs> I, I don't remember. I do remember as a kid not having to shave, though. So. Well, you're not shaving now. <laughs> I got you beat, Kent. <laughs> I think I was born with a full head of hair, though. That was cool. I remember those days. So it's... Anyway. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> So, okay, where do I go here? First, okay, so Ethan was talking about where all he lived, and I lived a few places as well. Born in Joplin, I have no memory of that place because we moved to Denver pretty soon after that. I lived in Denver for uh, a couple years, and then moved to North Dakota because my dad worked for an airline. Actually, it was Frontier Airlines, but even though the current Frontier has the same name, I don't think they're 
quite the same company that they were when my dad worked for them. Was he a pilot? No, he was. He worked for. He was like an airport ramp guy. So, like, the stories he says that he would, he would get up at, like, 2 in the morning sometimes and open the airport Whoa. in uh, Williston, North Dakota, because that's when Frontier's first flight came in, and they were, like, the first people. That's that, the, the famous Frontier hub. Yeah. Williston, North Dakota. So we lived there for, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know Williston. <laughs> so then we moved back to Denver, because Frontier transferred him back. Uh, lived there until I was in sixth, going into sixth grade, and then Frontier went bankrupt. So we moved to Orlando, Florida, where my dad worked for Florida Express Airlines, who was then promptly bought by Braniff Airlines, who went out of business three and a half years later. So that's when we moved to Phoenix. Braniff, wait a minute, Braniff is a real airline? Braniff, oh, Braniff is a real airline, and at the time, that was a uh, 86 that I moved to Orlando, they were already a retread of a very popular airline in the 60s who went out of business and then came back again in the 80s, I think. Also named Braniff? Also named Braniff. It's kind of what the, Frontier's doing now. The reason I've heard of that is because if you watch an episode of South Park, uh-huh. it ends credits roll and then there's a picture of a plane slowly moving through the air and it says Braniff and it's got some really like goofily bright music and stuff and I thought it was just a made up production company but so like they were a real thing rolling South Park <laughs> <laughs> what? I, I don't know that, that <laughs> was a very confused yeah so Phoenix uh, that was my freshman year of high school by the time we hit Phoenix so I went through high school. Uh, I graduated from Arizona State University. I met my wife there. I got my first job as a programmer. Um, for a while after college, I was playing with a semi-pro group called the Symphony of the West Valley. And that was fun for a while. Uh, you know, did some, did some freelancing around the area. So wait a minute, did you, um, do, do your parents come from a musical background? Did you have a great grandma who was playing in a swing band in the 20s in Idaho? No, I'm not cool like Ethan. <laughs> uh, my dad is a pianist. Um, uh, like trained? Uh, he had private lessons. Uh, he played for a while. He's not, um, he's not trained as a musician. Like he doesn't have a degree in it or anything, but he's a good pianist. He was my first teacher. <clears throat> I started piano at the age of nine. Still play to this day, although not as seriously. For a while there, I kind of fancied myself a, an actual pianist, and that didn't work out that great. But uh, bassoon at the age of 13, it was the typical, you know, you got to choose your instrument for band, and that's when I started playing bassoon. So you chose bassoon? I chose bassoon because Dad was also a, a bassoonist. And so, so he... What the hell, man? <laughs> How does somebody, how does your dad, who's not like a trained musician, start uh -huh. playing bassoon? I don't know. I don't know that story oh, well dude, enough, but I'm going to have to ask him that. Yeah. That's but I know he was playing, uh, yeah. I don't remember what it was called, but it was some community orchestra down near Golden or something. Colorado? Yeah, in Colorado, because he grew up in Colorado. He actually grew up in Evergreen. Um, but he, yeah, he, he played Beethoven 9 with this group. He, he he never got to, you know, he enjoyed the bassoon. 
Uh, he enjoyed piano, but I don't think he was ever to the point where he wanted to become a professional or go further with it. So he, he was borrowing some high schools bassoon when he played with the Jefferson Symphony? I think he was a high schooler at the time. But he was a high schooler. Yeah, and I think he was taking lessons from the, the bassoonist who was in it. Huh. So he, he, he's told that story to me a couple times. I think he enjoyed playing the ninth with an orchestra as a high schooler. Who wouldn't, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, he he told me what a bassoon was because I kept hearing this recording of the In the Hall of the Mountain King uh-huh. and the instruments that uh, start that. This episode of the Boulder Bassoon Quartet podcast is brought to you by Forrest's Music. Just about everything you could possibly need to play a double reed instrument is available at forrestsmusic.com, including From the Opposite Shore, the forrestsmusic.com. when I knew that that was a bassoon, that's what I wanted to play. Not having any idea what the bassoon actually was and what that actually meant. (laughs) We keep making these allusions to what that actually meant. Right. We haven't thoroughly jumped into the notion that the bassoon is a pretty front-loaded technical challenge. There's a lot of particular techniques that you have to figure out just to be able to play Mary Had a Little Lamb. Mm -hmm. You can't just push the buttons and make it go. But that's for another day, I suppose. I've been kind of surprised to hear other people say that the bassoon is considered to be one of the most difficult instruments. I've heard that too. I didn't know that. Well, and I think it's because of what Michael's saying. It's so front-loaded. There's so many things that have to happen. It's got a lot of keys and buttons. 27. Yeah, and I think you're actually really awkward. You're often playing on an instrument that hasn't been maintained as a beginner when you need a good instrument. I mean, that's a whole other ball of Uh wax is getting a hold of a a quality instrument. And expensive. Not to mention the reeds. So when I I went to the open house where I met my band director and we were all filing out and I asked him, do you guys rent bassoons? He's like, bassoon? You want to play bassoon? And he like gave me this hug. <laughs> and he's like, I'm going to write you a check every week. <laughs> Awkward. And at the time, naive 13-year-old Kent didn't really know why he was reacting like that. <laughs> but now looking back, I can understand the reaction. Cool. And then it just snowballed from there? Yeah, I just kept playing. And it was all something I did. And it was fun. And playing a youth orchestra? I did. By the time I hit Phoenix, uh, there's a Phoenix Symphony Youth Orchestra, and yeah, I got hooked up with that as a sophomore, and they're they're a good group. The title of the organization sort of implies that it's connected or affiliated with the Phoenix Symphony. Yeah, it was affiliated with them. Um, By the way, your degree is music and computer programming? No. <laughs> it, it's it's music performance. Okay. My, my degree is in music performance. Okay. So you don't have any like computer degree or anything? No, not officially. Oh. Um, my my other life. <laughs> yeah, 
My, my other life is uh, I've always tinkered with computers. I've always enjoyed that hobby. And I've been able to turn that into my main uh, income generating job since I've never been able to do that with the bassoon. No bitterness there. <laughs> I think I'm at least 15 auditions into trying to do that. And I have yet to succeed in any level. So. But at what point did you start thinking, well, I'll, I'll major in music in college? Oh, it was probably I was a junior in high school or something. And it, it was never really a, I need to decide what I'm going to do for the rest of my life now. It's just I knew I was you know, decent at the bassoon and I enjoyed it. And I liked the musical world and I saw no reason to stop doing that. So I just thought I'd keep doing that in college. Um, college was great because all I had to do was think about playing bassoon. Did you major in performance? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a music performance major. So yeah, I got a lot of great experience. I practiced all the time. And then, yeah, graduating from college, that's the first time where I think I really had to consider what my career options were. Um, and at that time, I was just getting into uh, computer programming on a, like a contracting kind of basis. and So... I keep thinking that if I were to go back to just post-graduating Kent and tell him not to get so comfortable with programming, I might have taken my career as a bassoonist a little more seriously right after college. And maybe I would have taken more auditions and maybe, I don't know. But if I hadn't had, pr programming is, is pretty good. It's a pretty good paying job pretty quick if you can get one. And so I got comfortable really quick uh, with a paycheck uh, in a non-musical thing. And I, uh, yeah, the next few years after college, uh, I saw my bassoon uh, playing kind of start to fade, actually. It is so difficult once you're done with school uh -huh. to keep playing and practicing. Yeah, it really it, is. It's, you know, it's, it's very rare to get a job full-time job playing an instrument right out of college and so you wind up doing something to make some money mm -hmm. and even if it's in the field of music it's still really difficult to find the time to make the time to properly practice and keep up your chops and make reads and all that stuff yeah. but somehow you came back I don't understand how you did that so you, you got yourself you graduated you got yourself a job you're making mm -hmm. actual money mm -hmm. which so then I, I continued even... freelancing for a while um, and then we, uh, my parents moved to Ridgeway, Colorado, and that was our step back into Colorado. We went and visited them, and this is just this little town uh, in southwestern Colorado near Uray and Telluride. Area. Oh, it's just gorgeous, yeah. So we visited them, and we wanted to move there. Uh, you know, you, you hear that vacation syndrome where you go to a place on vacation, and you just want to live there immediately, well, and that's what we did. So we we moved to Ridgeway, Colorado. Um, this would have been in 04, I think. And I didn't touch the bassoon uh, for probably two and a half years. I didn't play at all. And I didn't think I would miss it, but I started to. And at one point, I even sold my bassoon to pay for <laughs> other debts. But that's another story. And that was, interestingly enough, the most crushingly disappoint or, uh, depressing day that I can remember in a long time was the day I drove to the uh, shipping place to ship my bassoon off to the guy who bought it. Um, what kind of bassoon was it? It was a Fox Model 1. It was actually a very nice bassoon. It had a real 
beautiful sound, uh, wonderful tuning, um, great key work, and it had hardly any projection to it at all. That was always my problem with that bassoon. But uh, I, I always remember how wonderful sound that was. But uh, yeah, it was a Model 1. And so yeah, I was like depressed after since shipping the bassoon away. Um, and it was probably six months later that I decided I wanted to be a bassoonist again. And Can so, I ask you how old you were at that time? So I would have been probably 30 at this, at this point. So, yeah, so I started asking people who, what kind of bassoon should I get. Um, and one of my friends from Arizona, I think you guys all met her, Cassandra Bendixson, I think yeah. is her last name now. Yeah, she's a bassoonist in Tucson. And she just couldn't sing enough praises about the Moose Mont bassoon. So that's when I got in touch with Justin Miller, uh, tested out the 222 AP that I currently <laughs> play on. Um, so that was that. I bought it. Uh, I convinced Mindy to uh, get a loan. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's the part that I was really curious about, is yeah. because that's, you, yeah. that's a pretty serious investment, you know? Yeah. So it was, so, I mean, do our listeners want to know how serious of an investment this was? It, at the time, it was a $24,000 instrument, so Justin was saying, um, and then he gave it to me on sale for nineteen nine. so I paid twenty grand for that thing. I think the that was the top-of-the-line Moosemon at the time. At right now, I think it'll cost you about thirty grand for the... I'm sure he's continued to improve it. But So that was my re-entry into the bassoon world, um, and that was closely followed by going to uh, CU. We actually went over for the weekend and I played for Yoshi. Uh, he gave me a, a lesson and some pointers and stuff and then I decided I want to get back into the bassooning world by going to CU and beginning my master's degree. And it was a great year. Uh, met a lot of people, including you fine players. Uh, got back in, you know, got some good practicing in and ran out of time and money, so I've never finished my master's, but I feel very comfortable, at least in the bassooning community at the moment, and that pretty much brings us to now. So I have questions. Oh. What makes you yearn? <laughs> what makes you yearn? And also, after you've answered that question, mm -hmm. um, you are... Uh, easily the most serious composer among the four of us. What? <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. Are you finished with your Pew. temper tantrum? How dare you impugn my smarch. Oh, God. Oh, the smarch. I like your smarch. But, you know. That might be something so, to play this out. Uh, was it at Arizona State that you started studying? Composition. What what role did that play in your bassoon performance degree? Well, way back in the what was it the second podcast episode, mm -hmm. we talked. You know, we were talking about all the composers, and so then we, of course, obligingly had to talk about me. Uh, one of the things was uh, I was talking about like counterpoint and theory. I actually really enjoy theory. Uh, I've always been fascinated by that. And then one of the particular classes that was fascinating to me was counterpoint. I took uh, one or two counterpoint classes, um, and that's where I got fascinated with that specifically. Um, 
and that's where I started kind of doing some of my own stuff. Um, piano, bassoon. I wrote something for wind quintet that thankfully has never been uh, played past high school. But no, no, no. There's no wind quintet. Not anymore. <laughs> you wrote a bassoon trio, right? I wrote a bassoon trio that was actually premiered at Arizona State my junior year. Um, it it it's fine. I would have written it differently now, but uh, yeah, it, it, well, I mean, it's cool. Why you write different things now? I guess that's true. Yes, but uh, yeah, I've just always enjoyed it. I wish I had more time to do it. Uh, but I like what Brian was saying. Uh, you know, especially with another job that I continue to work to pay the bills, coming home and having to maintain reeds and bassoon and, and music for the quartet and things like that, I don't have a lot of time to compose a lot, but I do enjoy it when I do. Do you have any ideas percolating? I got a quartet I'm writing right now. Oh, oh I, I think oh. I just got goose pimples. <laughs> Heard it here first, folks. You got to look for it? No, not yet. Yeah, write the thing, and then you can name it. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Okay, you, you guys can name it. <laughs> so here's my question. So you, you talked about getting back into the bassoon a little bit, mm -hmm. but you basically mentioned, like, taking one lesson from Yoshi um, and then going up and doing your master's, mm -hmm. but there's got to be some kind of an in-between time where you were getting your chops back and... Kind of like practicing. Before I ever went to Yoshi, um, I asked the local school in Ridgeway if they had a bassoon I could borrow, and they actually did. This mm -hmm. 700 population town with a school that was an elementary all the way to high school, I think, at the time, they actually had a bassoon mm -hmm. that the lady was more than happy to lend me, and it was an Artly plastic bassoon. Um, and it was, it was everything that you think it probably would be. It was, <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a horrible instrument. Um, it, but you know, I can't be more grateful to this lady for giving it to me because I actually started getting my chops back on this thing. And that's where I started. I actually had old cane, gout shaped and profiled cane that I still had around that I actually started making reeds with. So yeah, I spent probably three, four months starting to get my chops back before I ever went and played for Yoshi. And by that time I had gotten the moose mode. Mm -hmm. But it took a long time. Like even when I was still, uh, when I was at CU, you know, actively pursuing my degree at that point, I didn't feel like I was really in shape until maybe halfway through my first year there. So what do you do to get your shots back? You What's just start. Like do you uh, forget fingerings? I was wondering if I was gonna forget fingerings, but no. Um, even the, the super high notes? The super high notes took some getting back, but uh, the fingerings all, I, it was like riding a bike. I just, I just sat down and I started playing. I was like, okay, yeah, I still remember the scales. Definitely took some time to get the chops back, but the fingerings were not the, not the problem. How about read making? Read, uh, making the blanks came back pretty easily. Um, I don't know if I should admit this on a podcast, but I don't think I've ever been great at finishing reads, and it certainly wasn't. I wasn't great then either, but I, I was able to get some reads that I could play on. So, yay. I'm not sure if my colleagues will agree with me necessarily, but I kind of, on the one hand, we play a lot of uh, literature where we switch around the parts, and so any one of us is as likely to play low stuff or inner voice stuff as the high stuff, depending on the piece. 
but for <laughs> all three of the pieces that found their way onto the album, you're playing bassoon one, very capably, I would like to say. <laughs> and, Thank you. Uh, I kind of associate your playing as being extremely capable in the high register, as well as you've got some finger chops that I envy just more than a little bit. Do you feel that since you started uh, back to the masters uh, and studying in Boulder, has your finger technique continued to improve, or are you did you have even better finger technique when you left Arizona State and you're still in the process of, of regaining? Whoa. Um. <laughs> uh, Technique has always been something that's come fairly easily to me. So even leaving Arizona State, I had some pretty good uh, technical chops, I think, as you put it. Uh, the thing that uh, going to CU was really good for me was to play with any sense of musicality at all. Um, Yoshi was really good at that. So I feel like I have a much better uh, sense of playing musically and phrasing and that kind of thing. You know, whether I'm great at it or not, I don't know, but I, I'm certainly better at it now than I was I'll get my before. Up, see what I <laughs> cool. All right, well, now it's time to play everybody's favorite game called What's on Ken's iPhone? What is oh, on no. Ken's iPhone? Yeah. I was hoping you guys forgot about that. As Ken <laughs> goes out to the garage to retrieve his gargantuan iPhone 6 Plus, <laughs> uh, we will take a guess as to what's wonderful piece of music we're about to hear as he plays his music on shuffle. Ethan, what do you think we're in for? For some reason, I think it's Paul Hansen. Oh, I think something uh, by Paul Hansen is just going to come up. Ethan's feeling some Paul. How about you, Mike? I believe it will be something by the Christian metal band Striper. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have any of them. All right. All right. Cody, what's your guess? Jazz. Jazz? What kind of jazz? Uh, Paul Hansen? Miles Davis. Miles Davis? That sounds nice. I don't know if Ken's cool enough for that. Alright, I'm going to be the one to finally guess, uh, you know, uh, how about some Miley Cyrus? I think maybe this is our time. <laughs> Brian, day. you weren't supposed to tell people that. <laughs> so what is the answer? Nothing. Oh, wow. Name the tune. Strauss? Yes. Right? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, God! <laughs> Cody can name that tune in two notes. This sounds like the soundtrack of Andy or something. Boing? No. No. That's boring. No, no, no. The stress on. Jeez. We've got Salome. Are we looking for operas? Rosen Cavalier? That's the only stress on. What is this? This is Don Quixote. Yes. Alright, I'm glad it wasn't one of my embarrassing tracks. All right, this has been what was on Kent's iPhone. What do you want to, uh, what music do you want to play to wrap this thing up? Oh, I don't know, maybe we can play some of my trio or something. Yeah, what's it called? The name of the trio was Excursions. <laughs> 